Before we get started, just a quick note about something you hear at the end of the show. In the credits, I mentioned that Nate Schweber does the music. And don't worry, he still does. But I wanted to tell you that he's got a new album out. It's called Gaps, and it's available for download or in handy CD format. And I invite you to check out nateschweber.bandcamp.com to listen to snippets and to add it to your musical collection. Thanks for supporting independent musicians. And now, here's that familiar Nate tune to get us started. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this is a strange time in our country. But there's one thing we can all agree upon. Rauch beers are awesome. So if you're on Facebook, make sure you check out the This Week in Rauch Beer page. There, you can join other smoked beer enthusiasts discussing their latest finds and talking about all things descended from Bomberg. All right, this week on the show, we're not talking about Rauch beer, but rather cool chapelles, tart saisons, and more with Jason Pellet of Orpheus Brewing in Atlanta. It's the fun, familiar story of a home brewer who wanted to go pro and did. Pellet has a background in music, but fell in love with beer making and wanted to bring something special to Atlanta when he and partners opened up Orpheus Brewing seven years ago. He's seen the brewery evolve over time, and while he has come to embrace some traditions and holds some things sacred, he's not afraid to mix things up as both a brewer and CEO. This means pushing the envelope of flavor, but also making sure that the bones of the business are solid. Orpheus has launched a leadership diversity program that is underway to help bring the beer industry along with the times and to make sure that the brewery is doing its part. Jason spoke to me via cell phone from the brewery, and we recorded this conversation on Election Day, meaning it's being released as you're hearing it now just hours after the polls closed. This is not a political show. But so much of what's been happening in the country has seeped into everyday life and business. If you've been watching the news, you'll have heard that Georgia is considered a toss-up on the presidential level and could also have a flip in the Senate race. There's an evolution happening in the state. And I took that theme to start off with Jason on how Atlanta and the South, which was not super quick in adopting the craft beer industry, has changed since his own brewery opened. Here's our conversation. Well, I mean, I remember when I was uh, trying to raise money, uh, so we were started really trying to raise money 2012 or so. We opened 2014, so in the like mid like mid 2012 through mid to late 2013 was you know when I was really going at that. And I know we we'd be going to uh, the Porter Beer Bar, which is mm-hmm. one of the greatest beer bars in the country. And we'd sit down with invest potential investors and would go through the beer list and point out there's nothing from Georgia on this list. Um, you know, this is a list of the greatest beers available in the country. And it's in Atlanta, and there's nothing here from Atlanta, from Georgia at all. Yeah. And um, so that was really, I mean, that was at the time, you know, what one of the things that, um, was, well, first was actually why I wanted to brew. I mean, there's just um, got a lot of possibilities out there that just weren't available here. Um, and just more than just not available here, just I thought it was kind of 
world of possibilities in beer that I wasn't seeing at all. But a lot of it was just, just not available around us. And so I thought there was um, lots of opportunity there for a different approach to beer. And um, so that would be a much harder sell right now because, um, yeah, the, the scene in Georgia has really matured in the last few years. Um, all the way from, you know, really, uh, really great, like, lager-focused breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is yeah, I mean, there's just actually, I, I think when when I travel to other states, there's there's a lot of times more breweries, um, but I actually feel like across the board quality here is extraordinarily high. Do, do you and think some of that may have been the impediments to entry mm-hmm. uh, before the change in 2017, where you basically had to be a packaging distribution brewery. There was no, like, or a brew pub. There was no just, like, full tapping. So, right. And had, your, had to have your stuff a little bit more together. To right, because you were going into a much more competitive space through grocery chains, through, uh, you know, through, through the, you know, through the full three-tiered system, not just out the back door of a, of a small, you know, couple-barrel tap room. Right. So, what I'm fascinated about with with your brewery um, is the, the the scope of things that you're doing. You know, I I got to know your brewery through uh, a lot of your cool ship beers and a lot of your method traditional uh, method traditionally, uh, however we're pronouncing it uh, this particular week um, uh, uh, beers. But you're also doing a lot of you know crazy IPAs and you're not afraid of lactose and uh, you're doing some, you know, cool things with, with barrel aging. And, you know, to, to, to me, it's like when I've met brewers that fall into, I don't know, the, the, the love affair of Lambic and Goose and the Belgian tradition, some of the other, you know, the other styles don't necessarily mesh with that. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm curious from, I guess this is your brewmaster hat on, not necessarily your CEO hat, but what what do you want the brewery to be? That's a good question. In some ways, I uh, I don't always know the answer to that question. And, and, and there are a lot of times I look at the brewery as easier to understand um, taking parts of it at a time, um, almost like a brewery within a brewery. Um, Interesting. So there was, I mean, the the big love that I had coming in was for barrel-aged beers broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to, the goal from the beginning was to do, you know, Lambic style, Lambic process, cool shit beer. Um, but also big barrel aged stout. And, um, so that, that side of the brewery was for a long time, just turning stuff or stuff going into barrels. I called our barrel room for the first few years and I was given floors, the wall change room, because it didn't really make sense to have 
any of that stuff going on with the way the laws work. Um, so that was just kind of a the the I guess the passion side of it, yeah. and the hope that one day things would change, but couldn't really justify the brewery existing to do those beers in Georgia. It was just no model that worked for that. So, um, so obviously that's changed now, unfortunately. But um, so that always was always off to the side, and then. So I, I got obsessed with sour beers in uh, I don't know, 12 years ago or so. Yeah. Actually, kind of what eventually led me to start wanting to brew. Um, and I really wanted there to be affordable sour beer, which kind of weird looking around now. That's all over the place. But back then, I was a trumpet player, you know, trying to buy beer on a freelance trumpet player's money. And Antion was getting dusty on the shelf. Which looking back now, I wish I had bought more. But <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Buy eighteen dollar yeah. bottle. So it was like cheap sour beer back then was like a five dollar bottle of, Et- of Petra, you know. Um, and I really wanted to bring sour beer to the market in a way that people could experience it, could actually afford it, drink six packs of it. Um, so. Yeah, just actually as of a couple of days ago, six years ago was when we started canning Atalanta, um, our kind of flagship part Wednesday song. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that, uh, that was the first packaged sour beer made in Georgia. And that was a whole lot of people in Georgia's first sour beer. And it was the uh, beginning of a few years of real struggle teaching people what sour beer was. Um, bringing beer buyers at bars and stores to the brewery to share and then getting really excited about it and then uh, taking the beer back to their place, putting it on the menu or whatever, and not really being able to explain it very well, people ordering it, not knowing what they were getting into, sending it back. And that was a, that was a few a few years of struggle there, but that was... I mean, so that, that's what I, that's what I was really one of the big goals that I had for the brewery and why I might want to actually open a place was to be able to bring sour beer to the mass to a certain extent. It, it it does strike me that even even today, uh, in an IPA heavy world of you know of craft, which doesn't have a huge. Uh, overall grasp of the marketplace uh, or, or you know stronghold in the marketplace uh, that a you know a tart plum saison could be a brewery's flagship I mean I've held on to calling it a flagship even though it sells at this point half as much if that of our newer kind of dual flagship double IPA mm-hmm. but I mean, the, the, I that's built, the CEO I mean, had I designed, on. Yeah. I designed the brewery around making Atalanta year round. Um, so we, we don't, we don't use our brew house exactly the way we used to. Now we, now we generally sour the wort in a fermenter, but I kind of designed the brew house around being able to sour the, sour it in the mash and then be able to actually separately at a, 
the mast louder vessel so I could bypass the mast if I had work fouling and stuff like that. So okay, kind of I think overthought that sort of logistical side of things at that point. But uh, you know, I, I didn't I didn't really have a model of how to approach doing a, a beer that sours everything like that. So. And we do it I mean, we do it differently than basically everybody else does now. I mean we use a um originally spontaneous now we pitched for over six year culture for our uh hour work. Um, How did that evolution um, happen? Um we actually started off early on, um it didn't scale up very well, but we were actually for the first few months um, letting the mash itself sour, um, which, and we would just, you know, control environment. At this point, I actually don't actually worry so much about blanketing with CO2, but we would blanket the mash with CO2, make sure temperature was like, we did this at around 122 degrees, 124 degrees, mm-hmm. um, and just let the mash itself spontaneously sour, which is sometimes take four or five days. And then the louder would just be a disaster. Sometimes take eight to ten hours. So, uh, I mean, the flavor was great. I mean, I really liked the character we got. But, um, yeah, it was just way too hard on the brew house, just scheduling and everything. So we started um, loudering the work before souring. So that... that uh, well, made the louder better. Um, still had to wait days for the souring to happen. Right. And then we just started repitching a little bit of the work batch to batch. So we have a few mother kegs that just hang out around the brewery, on the brew house, around the tank that we do souring in. And so we just been, yeah, repitching that mother ever since. You talk a lot about... Uh on your website, at least, uh, don't look back. That seems to be the, the brewery's mantra at, at this point. Mm-hmm. How, how does that, how is that translated into other beers? Because it, it, it sounds like, you know, with, with at Atlanta, you found an evolution process, uh, it's worked and you've just sort of moved on. Um, but there's so many, I think there's, there is a reverence still, uh, even among small breweries, of tradition, of you know finding something that works well once and sticking with it and not changing it for 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 whatever reason. Um, don't look back to me. It, 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 at least in my mind, is a I don't know a never ending evolution or thinking about it that way. It is, and I've uh, I've struggled with that myself after you know because the. Cause the I think philosophically, it made more sense early on um, that I really was trying to get away from what was around. I was um, was kind of, especially what was local at the time, um, and I really, yeah, really wanted to be pushing boundaries, and um, and it's still. I think it's important to think about in the sense that nothing, just because something was done 
this way doesn't mean it has to be done that way. Um, you can always be reassessing why you do something the way you do it. Um, but I, I, we, we, Orpheus, me, uh, we have taken a much more in the last few years, uh, especially the last year or two, um, I feel like I've gotten much closer to the historical roots of beer making than I originally was. Like, I, I think I actually started from kind of a backlash point of view when I started home brewing and developing the concept for the brewery. Um, what does that mean? Without... Um, It was a lot of what I wanted to do was kind of, for one, I actually didn't have a huge amount of appreciation for a lot of historical styles. Um, I actually, my, my beer journey started, um, I didn't drink beer for a long time. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't drink at all when I was younger. Um, but like I, my first experiences with beer were like, you know, pale lagers and I thought they were pretty disgusting <laughs> and didn't really start drinking beer until a bit later when I discovered some darker beers, um, a little bit of doing cool and then moved on to South and, um, didn't really come back to lagers until a few years ago. Uh, we didn't brew one until less than two years ago. Um, and so I really, yeah, so early on I was really like rejecting a whole lot of beer um, history and just trying to trying to move forward and it was all about what's what's exciting um, and I think less, I had less of an appreciation back then for like what's just like good to sit down and drink. Mm -hmm. um, even though like I, I've always, I never really cared for the, the idea of pushing boundaries if it didn't just taste good. I mean, so, so for me, no matter what you're doing, whether it's some wild stuff or whatever adjuncts you're using, like the first thing I'm going to use to judge my beer or anyone else is just is this pleasurable drink um but there is a especially on the more simple side a subtle crafted side and didn't really appreciate that stuff as much as i do now and then when you got into it though it seems like you went full tilt on it that you know, especially in going back to some of the cool ship beers that I've had from your brewery, um, you really are trying to stay as faithful to history and process as, as possible. Yeah. I mean, so, um, I, I never, the, the only beers I was originally planning on brewing, um, like people, I mean, we call it like Atalanta was beer we launched with, um, you know, we call it a tart plum based on. It's not like a very traditional based on. Um, well, I, the, I would, only, yeah. the only 
know, people would consider us kind of a Belgian style brewery at first. We we didn't launch with an IPA. I think it's one of the main reasons. Um, but the only beers I ever intended to actually do kind of faithful to a historical style would be Lambic type beers. So we still haven't really done any other um, Belgian beers that are very strictly to style. Um, so yeah, but that, that, that was always, you know, I, I figured even with Don't Look Back, I was like, well, it's not like there's many American breweries. I mean, at this point, when I when we were planning the brewery, um, Jester King, I mean, sorry, Jester King hadn't released any yet. Russian River had released spontaneous bullshit beer. Allagash had it. I think that was it. New Glarus and a few others, but yeah. But you're right that there, um, that, right. That there weren't many. Hamster. Yeah. At that point. So I figured, okay, they've been doing it like this for a long time in Belgium, but not here. So it's still like in the, in the scene that we're in, it's something new. Tell me about your cool ship. Hmm. So it's two of them. Um, I actually have no idea what they were originally built for. They're (laughs) open top cylindrical vessels. Um, gotten into people have tried to argue with me that they're not cool ships because if i didn't get them bad as cool ships and pretty but um i just we we use them as open fermenters and fill them up more uh we use them as cool ships we just don't fill them very high and they're ugly they're uh i basically bought them for scrap price uh, right around when we opened, and um, but I think you're pressing a cool ship. I mean, it has to work like a cool ship, and that's what really matters. Yeah. So. And what so, about yeah, what about pretty? We we can't. You know, they're they're just sitting in the middle of the brewery. Um, when we when we use them as cool ships, we leave dock doors open a little bit and blow fans across. Um, so. Yeah, I used to think one day we'll get pretty ones, but I don't know. At this point, it works. And and what about your microflora? What, what as you've had now, you know, multiple years of spontaneous inoculation. What have the flavor f- profiles been? What have you started to see as I don't know, native flavors, um, native it, aromas? It's changed a little bit over the years. Um, we definitely kind of a, a character that they start off when they're young on the kind of kind of perfumey, um, phenolic side, and it's um, and some of them at this point have moved away from that faster. So they eventually get kind of uh, hey, most of them aren't super funky. I mean, so they get fruity, lemony. Sometimes a little bit of, uh, sometimes you get some stone fruit, a um, little bit of diesel. Um, a little bit of diesel. Really, they, they've gotten more. They've gotten more consistent, and we've had to dump less and less over the years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, acid levels generally isn't 
super high, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. I mean, some, sometimes I actually have to work to find more acidic barrels to blend, but I, I generally am not looking for super acidic beer. That seems to be what I'm, I'm starting to see that shift as well, that for, for, for a while, um, either spontaneous or things that were being quote unquote Belgian inspired that were coming out of us breweries, uh, were acetic almost to the point of undrinkability and Mm. the folks who could make it through a glass or, or, or two of stuff, they were taking it as this badge of honor that it was sort of this, you know, extreme beer or, I, I, I don't even quite know what the appeal was. Um, it was almost like, you know, some of the brewers in the early days of craft who were just, you know, part of the IBU wars and just topping the shit out of stuff just for the sake of it. Uh, it seemed like, you know, the, the, the more acetic a beer was, uh, you know, the better it was in, in, in people's minds. But I, I think we're starting to come back from that now as well. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I mean, it's like the IBU wars. You know, people came to their senses. I mm-hmm. think part of it was probably people didn't know how to control the acid on the brewer's side. Um, so we, we've had to, I mean, we, we've made the main changes that we've made batch to batch and year to year on our um, spontaneous production is just popping levels, trying to find the exact right amount or making sure that we have, we're changing it up within a season a little bit, knowing that based on hopping levels, we're going to get some batches that are going to end up more acidic, some less that we can blend. Um, and so, that's, so for me, like in the beginning, people would always talk about sour beer being beer that you had to kind of uh, work your way up to or you had to like know something about it to enjoy it. Like, like you needed some expertise. And that was never like that for me. It was, I mean, from the first um, sip of Duchess that I had, mm-hmm. March 18th, 2009, yeah. I was like, wow, that is amazing. Um, there was no, you didn't have to acclimate to it. Um, and so my, but, you know, think about little kids love sour stuff, you know? I mean, people like acidic um, food. The shock like of it, yeah. Drink. There's no reason for acidic beer to be different than anything else. Like, if it's done well, if it's done with the intention of balance and, um, you know, um, beauty, pleasure, then there's, you shouldn't have to acclimate to it. I mean, mm-hmm. it still doesn't mean it's going to be for everybody, but the idea that it wasn't something for everybody um, or that you needed to be like some beer expert on it to enjoy it. I just never, never bought into that. As you, I'm just trying to think of like how you have had these conversations with people because you're right. Like as kids, we are, you know, we like the, the the sourness and we like the abrasiveness of it and even in you know other other foods as well but i still find that it is a difficult conversation to have with folks who are not used to it or these sensations of these have flavors and beer expectations for what beer is yeah so, so that's where the difficulty is yeah 
Um, so I would, especially early on, I would present before even not necessarily telling them it was beer, be like, try this. Think about it, it's kind of like I made this. You think about it sort of like wine-like or cocktail-like. They drink it, they like it, and be like, that's beer that you just had. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, get, getting people away from what their expectations of beer are, I think is the hardest thing. People expect beer to be one thing, and it can be many other things. So that's, you know, the kind of tricking people around it isn't as necessary anymore, I don't think. Yeah. <clears throat> Thinking about beer in, in, in one way uh, and now, you know, talking about evolution as well, um, I, I, I want to sort of change gears a little bit and give you a chance to talk about this um, uh, leadership program that the brewery has launched because, you know, people people have oh, thought yeah. about, you know, beer being one particular way and that's, you know, middle-aged white dudes uh, a, 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 as it were. Um, but there is a shift happening in the industry for the better, for more diversity and inclusion. Um, and I've been surprised with conversations from brewers who, you know, either hadn't been giving it much thought before this year um, or, you know, a little bit of thought, uh, you know, only or, you know, not having applicants or uh, a, a chance to actually um, make their own businesses uh, be more inclusive and have more uh people who have you know, different backgrounds and different thoughts and different experiences. Um, so tell me a little bit about this program that you guys are, 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 are doing. All right. So it's a, called the leadership diversity program. And um, it came about, well, looking back a long time, I was always disappointed in lack of diversity and applicants. Um, on the brewing side, especially, uh, we actually early on had a very diverse taproom staff. Um, but it was looking back, like I think there was something about Orpheus that led us to have a more diverse taproom staff early on. And then I realized a few years in that it wasn't as diverse as it had been. And off of the sign-up sheet to work our when we were before the laws changed it was uh we were only open a few hours a week probably a short shift so we just had people sign up to work and make good tips and uh there wasn't so much of a hiring process beyond if you sign up you'll at least get a shift and if you keep going back you'll probably be able to do that mm-hmm. um as it got more as the hours expanded, as it became more heavily managed, um, I think, and I, I wasn't running the taproom side of things at the time, but um, I think it was looking back, trying to figure out what happened. I think as people got hired instead of volunteer sign up, it was way too much just hire friends, hire friends of friends. Right, and it got away from the much more open call that we originally had, and so realizing that, along with the fact that we actually, when we had open calls for like the more like production side of things, uh, we didn't have diverse candidates. Um, so between those two, realized that both need to be more active in making sure that 
job postings go out, make sure that um, diverse candidates actually see it, mm-hmm. and uh, make sure that for more upper-level jobs that, you know, there are diverse candidates available. And it's something that early on I just figured, well, we're a small brewery. We, uh, this is, it's a problem, but I mean, it's not, you know, it's somebody else's problem, I guess was the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, you know, like it's a big industry. What are we supposed to do about this? Right. And, you know, six, six years later, it's the same problem. Nobody else has done anything about it. I was like, well, I guess, uh, but we don't do anything about it. Who is, you know, this, at some point you just have to realize there's a problem and nobody's fixing in six years or tried that, uh, might not happen if you don't try to be part of the solution. And one of the things that I liked about, so, uh, the, this program and sort of the, uh, uh, the qualifications for, for, for people to apply is that there's not a lot of restrictions on here. You know, you got to be 21 plus, um, but a lot of it is really just, you know, desire or interest, it, it, it seems. So there's not right. a ton of roadblocks that, that, that go up. Right, because, I mean, if, if the problem is that there aren't people already here, then, you know, if you start to say you have to have a certain type of experience, then you're not you're not opening that up to anybody new. <clears throat> How's it been received? Um, good. I mean, we're we're a few months into our first. So this is uh, for this is basically one fellow at a time for six months, and um, and so they work with me a few hours a week on assorted topics, and then also rotate through. Um, basically all areas of the brewery. Mm-hmm. So um, our, our first fellow, Jade Briggs, she's been uh, towards the end of her cellar and lab rotation um, and about to start on the cellular side soon. And I think it's going well. I think it's um, like my intent with this is basically at the end of the six months, I mean, if we were bigger, I mean, I, think I would love to be able to make sure that there's a job internally for everybody who finishes, but we're just not big enough to guarantee that. So we, at the end of this six months, or for the last like couple months, I mean, a big part of what we'll be working on and on the time together is making sure that there is a job lined up. Right. And, um, and, what I'm trying to do is prepare for any type of leadership position. Kind of my, when I was trying to figure out who to hire, it had a lot of different things in mind about what I would narrow it down and finally realized uh, it was actually kind of pandemic um, related. Uh, my board had wanted me to come up with a succession plan, whether it was long-term or a short-term <laughs> thing and yeah. didn't really have that set up very well and talking to people in the brewery nobody really wants my job actually which kind of surprised <laughs> me in some ways but I was like okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna approach this 
um, choosing who the fellow will be based on, can I get this person ready to take my job in six months? It's an interesting approach. Or at least parts of it. Yeah. So, so that's my intention is just um, get get somebody who could run a brewery. Yeah. Well, I, 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 it's been nice to see these programs pop up uh, at breweries across the country, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that you all are doing it, and I'm gonna sort of keep an eye on it. Uh, but I hope it continues to 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 go well. Um, be, before I let you go, uh, two more quick things I just wanted to 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 get in to with you is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of your other brewery taglines is you talked about native funk, old barrels, big hops, and a little bit of chaos. <laughs> Tw- 2020 doesn't need any more chaos in it. Um, oh, I don't know. Chaos is fun. All right. Um, why? Tell me why. Well, I, I guess it started as a little bit of a joke. My uh, production man, director of brewing operations, uh, calls me a chaos monster so thinks that I mean so I don't we'll know if have that's a compliment a basic plan yeah we'll have a basic plan and then sometimes I like to change stuff up um or like take something that you know a, a beer that is going to be going out I'm like this isn't quite where it needs to be and sometimes it takes a lot to get it to where I want it to be um, maybe some kind of convoluted processes, or just it was like, oh, we, there, there's there's not really room in the schedule, but uh, I think we need to process 600 pounds of peaches this afternoon. Um, Boy, I can't or, imagine why you can't find anybody who wants to take over your job. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so I. I like the unexpected, and I like um, it's it's really it's more than anything unexpected. It's really about this is yes, this is a factory. Um, we have to treat it like it's a factory. There's beer go sit on shelves in grocery stores, you know, hundreds of miles away, you know. So there is that factory aspect of it, but this will always be something where when it comes down to it, we can make what we want, how we want to make it, when we want to make it. Um, and always have to have that feeling to it. Yeah. You had a career in music before you got into to brewing. What did being a trumpet player teach you about beer? Oh man, so my, uh, well, early on I was, uh, dealing with my, my trumpet teacher in high school is actually head of the jazz program at Georgia State where I ended up going and he was driving me into town to check out the campus and we stopped at a bar and we met another, uh, professor and they got some beer and he said, Jason, one thing you have to know is that as a trumpet player, you have to finish your beer. So, I guess that was the first lesson. Um, after that, I really think it's um, like I, I was. So I was. I was classically trained. I have 
both my degrees, undergrad and masters, are orchestral performance. And just just the, the way of approaching practicing, the way of breaking everything down into its most fundamental levels, um, and being able to approach every problem and so in music that problem could be just a you know a, a small passage or a long passage with small parts in it or however you break it down mm-hmm. but you can always get if you're having trouble with something there's always a more fundamental level you can break it down to until you get to literally just one note yeah um and lots of fundamentals can be worked on on a single note, um, getting from note to note. Um, so that approach is how I had to think about um, building and operating the brewery. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a home brewer brewing five gallons at a time and um, designed the brewery and processes um, without actually knowing commercial processes but just had to think through okay we have to go from point a to point whatever z which is beer on the shelf somewhere yeah or somebody having it at their house three months later and drinking it and what are all the steps that have to come in between so that's me always been the really big uh, um, carryover, and for me, I was also a composer, improviser. So I do like thinking on my feet like that and coming up with new things. And um, yeah, I always want to be making something. I've known a lot of brewers who have musical backgrounds, and they're there is usually a correlation between the two because certain beers have a harmony to it. You know, they, they just work all of the ingredients just work together in such a way that, you know, it is like experiencing a, a, a piece of music. Um, yeah. I mean, I actually do think about flavors in a lot of ways. Think about harmonic structures with, uh, in ways that I don't, I don't sometimes know how to describe some flavors in other ways, but like, you know, there's, I taste some things and like, there's, there's bass notes, there's mid tones, there's high tones. Um, you don't have those high tones in there. Somehow you gotta be a little muddy. Um, you don't have the low tones, you know, a little overwhelming. So, so yeah, I definitely think about it building on a balance harmonically well i'm going to remind everybody that you don't need to be a trumpet player to finish your beer and that uh you should always finish your beer <laughs> jason thanks for taking the time and encouraging and, responsibility well Even a trumpet player doesn't have to finish their beer <laughs> also true you also don't have to finish your beer if you if you don't want to but it's election season and you know these days i think finishing a beer is probably a a, a smarter idea um Jason, thanks for, for being on the show. Thanks for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for talking with me.
That's Jason Pellet of Orpheus Brewing in Atlanta. He tells me that the next round of applications for the Leadership Diversity Program will be open in a few weeks, and you can find more at orpheusbrewing.com. My thanks to him for being on the show, and my thanks to you for listening. You can always reach me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And also, please make sure to check out BeerEdge.com to listen to Andy Crouch's podcast, The Beer Edge Podcast, and to sign up for the newsletter and more. Go to BeerEdge.com. Tune in to Steal This Beer every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Nate Schweber does the music. He's got a new album out. It's called Gaps, and you can check that out at nateschweber.bandcamp.com. Jeff Quinn designed the logo for the show, and I'm John Hall. New episodes are released every Wednesday, regardless of the election outcome, and I'll be back with you again next week to drink beer and to think beer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>